You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Uh, Good to be with you all tonight and uh, having a look at this passage from 1 John chapter 4. I'd encourage you to grab a Bible, uh, either on your phone or out of the seats in front of you, uh, and it's on page 988, because I'd love you to have a look at it with me uh, as we go through uh, a little bit later and see what it has to say. Uh, The series that we're doing at the moment is uh, looking at our vision. So last year as a church, we put together a, a church vision, Vision 2022, And uh, we got lots of feedback from people and we were gathering the information to speak about what it is that we as a church um, dream and imagine that our future might be in five years' time uh, under God. And uh, part of putting this together was thinking about some different biblical passages, what the Bible had to say to try and shape the feedback we were getting and to put this vision together. And over this series, we're having a look at some of those Bible passages to unpack something of this vision and what God has to say uh, in the Bible about how we put it into practice. Uh, So again, uh, our vision that we've come up with is that we aim to be an intergenerational community which is loving like Jesus, growing in Jesus and sharing Jesus. Last week, Kirk talked about what it means to be an intergenerational community. This is this desire that we have to be people of all different ages relating to each other, um, a family together really, that as Jesus has called us into a relationship with himself, that that makes us brothers and sisters with each other. And talking about the great strength that there is in the variety of different age groups that we find in the church. Today I want us to think about um, our vision that as an intergenerational community that we want to be loving like Jesus. Now, it's possible that you've heard lots of church vision statements over the years. You might have been involved in uh, putting some of them together yourself. And you might be thinking, you know, it's a bit of a cliche to have love like Jesus in a vision statement. You know, this is a church. Churches are supposed to be on about love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stick it in there, but move on to the more interesting uh, stuff in a vision. It's easy to sort of skip over it because it seems like something that should be there, uh, that we know a lot about. Um, but what's it really saying? The trouble is that the word love really has been cheapened by overuse in our culture and society. And we often mean a lot of different things when we use the word love. Um, Often when we talk about love, we talk about feelings that we have, feelings that arise within us, and we respond to those feelings. And that's what love is all about. And so it comes naturally and easily to us. But Christian love, the sort of love that is spoken about in the Bible, is quite different to that. And actually, it is not natural, and it doesn't come easily. Take as an example the fact that Jesus says that we should love our enemies. That's not the sort of thing that comes naturally to us to love our enemies. It's not the sort of thing that our feelings give rise to us wanting to do with. In fact, loving our enemies sort of goes against the natural feelings that we might have to kill our enemies or to hate our enemies. And Jesus says, no, I want you to love them. Christian love 
doesn't come naturally and it doesn't come easily. Uh, I was at a conference in January uh, called Summer Under the Sun run by one of our key mission partners, uh, CMS, the Church Missionary Society. So we give money to them to support workers in Australia and around the world. And one of the speakers, David Williams, who's in charge of training um, their workers, was reflecting on the fact that when he first became a Christian, he was thinking about the sort of teaching and training that he got as a new Christian. He got taught how to pray, how to relate to God in prayer, have a conversation with God. People taught him about that. He was taught about reading the Bible, how you know it's really important to hear from God, read God's word, and so he was trained in reading the Bible. He was taught to share his faith with other people, to tell other people about Jesus uh, and talk about his faith in natural ways. But what he said on reflection, which surprised him, was that no one ever taught him how to love. No one sat down with him and said, now you've become a follower of Jesus, you need to learn how to love. Now that might seem weird to even say that. I mean, do we need to be trained how to love? Um, Shouldn't we just know how to do it? Doesn't it just come naturally and easily? But no, the sort of love that is spoken about in the Bible doesn't come naturally and it doesn't come easily. Lust comes naturally and easily, doesn't it? Yes, nods. Um, Yes, it does. We don't need to work at that. Self-love, putting ourselves first, caring for our own priorities when we're hungry, getting something to eat, that comes naturally, that comes easily. But Christian love, which is about putting other people's needs ahead of our own, serving other people rather than serving ourselves, That doesn't come naturally and it doesn't come easily. But that's the sort of love that we're talking about in our vision because we're talking about loving like Jesus, loving in a way as modelled by Jesus. Loving like Jesus sounds like an awesome idea in a vision when we're talking about other people loving us like Jesus. Loving like Jesus sounds like a great idea until someone upsets me and offends me and I've got to work out how I'm going to respond given how hurt I'm feeling because of what they've done to me. Loving like Jesus sounds like a great idea to have in a church vision until a strange-looking newcomer walks into church and someone's got to speak to them. Loving like Jesus sounds like a great idea until my needs aren't being met And I'm not very happy about that. When you think about it, loving like Jesus is actually hard work and it's costly. It's something that we need to work at. It's something that we need to grow in. But it's not an optional extra if you're a follower of Jesus. Loving like Jesus is part of the deal if you're going to be someone who follows Jesus and if we're going to be a community that says that Jesus is at the centre of everything that we're going to do. So with that sort of introduction about just how hard this is, you might be asking the question, well, why, why put it in there? I mean, is it too late? Can we just take a pen to all of the documents and cross that line out about loving like Jesus? Wouldn't it be easier to get rid of it? Why, why bother if it's so hard? Uh, why is a very good question, isn't it? Because why is the sort of question that really gets to the heart, the motivation for doing things. Uh, sure, why can be a bit annoying. I have a four-year-old and um, 
why? But why? But why is sort of the constant refrain. I thought he was over it. When I first wrote this talk, I said, you know, three-year-olds, and then I was in the car with him, and he did it. Why, 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 why? It's like, okay, he's not over it. Four-year-olds still do it. But it's good, because they want to get to the heart of it. But, but why? Getting right down, digging right down deep as to why we do things. And why should we love? Why should we love like Jesus? Really is the question that this Bible passage that Steph read to us just before is asking. That's the key question here. Why should we love if we're followers of Jesus? And it gives us three reasons why we should love each other. So if you haven't already done it, grab a Bible, page 988, uh, and have a look. It's 1 John chapter 4, uh, starting at verse 7. So starting uh, in verse 7 itself, it says this, Dear friends, let us love one another. There's the command. Let's, let's do it. Let's love one another. And then we get the first reason why. For love comes from God. Love comes from God. It originates with God. And reason that it originates with God, if you go down into verse 8, is because God is love, John says in verse 8. So go back in time, travel back in your head, imaginary time machine, go back, go back, there's no humans in existence yet, there's no animals, we're even before the dinosaurs, in fact the world doesn't exist, keep going back, there's no universe, there's no other planets or stars, there's nothing in existence, time doesn't even exist. Now that's, that's just mind-blowing, go back in time to when time doesn't exist, but there's nothing, okay? Nothing except God. God and absolutely nothing else, love still exists because God is love. Christians believe that uh, God exists as three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in perfect relationship in and of himself. One God, but three persons. Relationship is at the heart of who God is, and relationships of love are at the heart of who God is. So before there was anything in existence, there was nothing else except God himself. The Father loved the Son, and the Son loved the Father. The Son loved the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit loved the Son. The Holy Spirit loved the Father and the Father loved the Holy Spirit. Love existed. God is love. Before there was anything else, there was love because God is love and exists in perfect relationship of love in and of himself. God is very hard to get your head around. This is kind of mind-blowing stuff. Um, But it shows us that love has always been. From eternity past... To eternity future, because God exists, love exists. God is love, and love comes from God. So that's what God is like at his very core of his being. And if human beings, as the Bible says, are made in the image of God, that is, we're made to reflect something of God's character, uh, to be like God in the way that we operate in the world and the way we carry on our relationships, then loving others should be part 
of how we do things as human beings. More than that, for Christian people, people who are followers of Jesus, we claim that we know God. Okay? And when we, when we talk about knowing God, we're not talking about knowing facts about God that we could do a quiz like we were texting questions in that we can answer really tough questions about God. No, knowing God is about being in relationship with God, a meaningful, intimate, deep relationship with God, a personal relationship. That's what knowing God means. If we claim that we know God, that we're in relationship with him, and God is love, then we need to love because God is love and we're in relationship with him. As a bit of a sideline, um, sometimes you might feel the inadequacy of your own love. Sometimes you might be very conscious of your lack of love for other people. Uh, maybe when someone's hurt you or there's an issue in your family or you're just conscious of your failings and you think, I wish I, could, I, I loved more. Sometimes our, our attitude when we feel the inadequacy of our love is to run away from God and to distance ourselves from God to hide from God and to think that God can't be pleased with us for our lack of love. That's the opposite of what we should do when we're conscious of our lack of love. Because God is love, and if we know God, we will grow in love. The answer when we feel like our love is inadequate is actually to get closer to God, to draw near to God, because as we appreciate his love better and understand more deeply how great God's love is, it grows the love in us and helps us to be more loving. So John's first answer to the question, why should we love one another, is because love comes from God and God is love. That's why we should do it. Uh, the second reason is in verses 9 to 11. That first reason was pretty much uh, verses 7 and 8. The second reason is in verses 9 to 11. Uh, we've just been talking, you know, mind-blowing stuff about the very character of God before all time, and you might be thinking to yourself, Tim, can't you give us something a bit more grounded, a bit more concrete, something down to earth about why we should love? Well, that's exactly where John goes next. He says, we should love one another because God has shown us love in Jesus. God existed in a loving relationship from all eternity past, but at a particular point in history, God himself came to earth as a human being, took on human flesh to live amongst us as the person Jesus and to show us what a life of love looks like. When you look at the accounts of Jesus' life, and if you're not familiar with Jesus, maybe you're here investigating Jesus, I'd encourage you just to read through one of the accounts in the Bible that tells the story of Jesus' life. Mark Matthew, Luke, or John. Uh, Mark's the shortest. A tip, a tip there. That's a good one to dive into. But when you look at Jesus, if you look at the way that he relates to people, you see what love is supposed to look like because you see in Jesus the way that he perfectly loves other people and relates to them properly. God himself showed us in Jesus what love looks like. And at the culmination of the story of Jesus' life is the fact that Jesus goes and dies on a cross, which is the greatest act of love that the world has ever seen. So in, in verse 10, John says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son 
as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's love can be seen in what Jesus does for us. It's not an abstract concept, but it's love in very practical terms involving blood and sweat and tears as Jesus hangs on a cross. But it's not just a demonstration. It's not just Jesus hanging on a cross as a demonstration of God's love. It actually achieves something as he does it. Think about it a little bit like this. Uh, Last Wednesday was Valentine's Day. Some of you might be going, oh no, it was Valentine's Day. I didn't buy flowers, something like that. That's okay. Imagine imagine, uh, a young guy, let's call him Bob, uh, and he wants to show his undying love for uh, Gwenda, who's his girlfriend, okay? No one's called Bob or Gwenda here. No? Good. It was more risky at 8 o'clock this morning. Um, And Bob, Bob wants to show his love for Gwenda, but chocolates and flowers and cards just isn't going to do it. And he thinks to himself, I know what I'll do. I will go and jump off that cliff into the ocean to demonstrate just how much I love Gwenda. And so off he goes, off the cliff, saying, I love you, into the ocean, and he dies. Is that love? It's pretty stupid, isn't it? Okay? Because he's basically, you know, tried to show his love by giving a demonstration which results in him dying. Think about it like this differently, though. Imagine Gwenda is in the ocean, she's drowning, and Bob goes flying off the edge of the cliff into the water. He rescues Gwenda, but in the process loses his own life, sacrificing himself to save her. Now, that's a demonstration of love, isn't it? Sacrificial love. And that is what the cross is about. It's not just a bloody man hanging on a cross saying, hey, look, this is, this is how much I love you. It is a demonstration of love, but it's a rescue operation where Jesus saves us in the process of giving up his own life. He saves us. He deals with our sin, which is what separates us from God and wrecks the relationship that we have with God. That's what um, John's talking about in verse 10 when he talks about Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Atoning's one of those um, sort of jargon Christian words, but if you look at what it actually says, you understand what it means. Atoning means at oneing, bringing together, making one again two parties that have been separated and a relationship that's been broken. That's what's happened between people and God. Our sin, our rejection of God has broken the relationship, but Jesus dies to deal with our sin, atoning, at oneing, bringing us back together with God. That's how he rescues us and shows God's love in the rescue. God's love is seen as Jesus deals with our failings, offers us forgiveness, restores our relationship with himself, and gives us a new life in Jesus. So why should we love one another? Well, God is love, and God shows his deep love for us in Jesus dying on the cross for us to deal with our sin. God loved us first, and he's given us a new life in Jesus, which is a life of love. The third and the final reason in this passage as to why we should love each other is in verse 12. And here it gets very personal, and it gets very present. So think about the movement in this passage. We've started talking 
about, you know, the eternal God who's lived, who has always been, even before the world exists, being love in and of himself. And then we've looked at something that happened in history, Jesus coming and living on earth, a real historical person, showing what love looks like and dying on a cross to rescue us and to show God's love for us. That's all something that's happened in the past that we can look at. But we're also to love because right here, right now, if we're followers of Jesus, God lives in us by his Holy Spirit and he wants us to love one another to demonstrate that he is at work and living within each one of us. So verse 12, John says, No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. When followers of Jesus, Christian people, love other people, then people can see that God is doing something in our lives, that God is at work and that God himself is is present here by his Holy Spirit. Uh, In another part of the Bible, in the book of Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. So when God's Spirit is at work in our lives, the the evidence, the, the fruit that you see, and the first thing of the list of the fruit of the Spirit is love. Top of the list. No accident that it's top of the list because it's actually... The, the key thing that should demonstrate that God is at work in our life. Loving one another is evidence that God is in us and that he is growing us and changing us and making us more like Jesus. And growth is really important. Fruit grows. So if the fruit of the Spirit is love, then it should be growing and getting more and more all the time as we follow Jesus. Uh, sometimes people think that love is a zero-sum game. By that term, I mean, you know, there's a set amount of love that we have and we can use a bit over here and use a bit over here, but we've got to be careful because we don't want to run out as to how much we've got left. But love's not like that, is it? When our oldest child, Abby, was born, I remember holding her in my arms and there was this precious little baby girl and and my heart just exploded with how much I loved her, just overwhelmed with these feelings of love. But then our other kids, Emily and Sam, came along. Did I have to take that love away from Abby to give it to the other two? Or did I have not enough left for the other two because I used it all up on the first one? No. Right? God God expands our hearts, doesn't he? Our our hearts expand with love. It it, it just happens um, with children and and grandchildren and other relationships uh, that we have. Uh, and in the same way, God's spirit can, can grow and, and deepen and expand the love that we have. Which helps us to understand that really weird and strange and puzzling thing at the end of verse 12 that you might have heard Steph read and, and thought, what's the deal with that? Where it talks about God's love being made complete in us. Did that strike anyone as odd when that was read? Because does that mean that somehow God's love is incomplete? Does it mean that when God existed before time even existed, that the love within God was somehow incomplete? Did it, does it mean that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, demonstrating God's love in his rescue mission of us, that somehow that was, that was incomplete? 
No, God's love being made complete in us is really speaking about this perfect love that God has expanding and and spreading and going further and further and further. So God has loved us and he wants us to love him back. And he wants us to take that beautiful love that he has and share it with other people. That's what being made complete means, that it goes out and it spreads and more people experience God's love as God's spirit works in us and helps us to share God's love with other people. Uh, In the book of John, John's Gospel, John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. People should be able to walk in to a church community or a gathering of Christians and they should be able to see that we are followers of Jesus because of the way that we love each other. It should be demonstrated just in our actions. It should be obvious that we're Jesus' followers because we're loving each other so well. And it shouldn't stay just within the confines of the church or amongst Christians. It should go out like water to a parched land as we share God's love with people in our community, people at our schools, people in our workplaces, so that God's love is made complete by us sharing it and demonstrating it in practical and real ways for the way that we treat other people. God's love is perfect and it's expressed in real and loving actions performed by God's people who are filled with God's spirit. So I hope that's a motivation for you as you think about loving other people. And maybe you're very conscious in your own life of some people that you're finding it very hard to love at the moment, some difficult and tricky situations that you're in. And you might be tempted to think in your own head, well, why should I bother? And this reminds us of why we should bother, why it's important. Because God is love, God showed us love, and God's living in us by his Holy Spirit wanting us to share and demonstrate his love for other people. That's, that's the why. What about the how? How do, you, how do you do it? This passage doesn't really say that. It's, it's speaking more about the why. But the rest of the Bible really does unpack in lots of ways how we're to do it. Uh, and there's lots of places you can look at, but one of the things that has struck me as I've been thinking about it this week is that throughout the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, there's a whole series of one another passages Right, Bible passages which use the phrase one another and they speak about how in practical and real concrete ways we're to treat one another. And they're really telling us ways to love one another in practical terms. In fact, many of the one another's are about loving one another. But here are a few of the others if you need some ideas for how to love others in practice. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Welcome one another, just as Christ welcomed you. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. You can practice that over supper. Encourage one another. Serve one another. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. 
Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive one another. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against one another. Offer hospitality to one another. That's just a few examples from the Bible of the one another's. There's others that you can probably read in fine print up there as well. But really, the only limit is your own imagination of how, in concrete and practical terms, you can show love to one another. The thing about these one another passages is they show that it is all of our responsibility. If we are people who are followers of Jesus, then we have a responsibility to each other to love like Jesus loves. Um, We've sometimes spoken at church about the importance of mutual care, about how it's our responsibility to care for each other. Uh, We often talk about life groups and how important life groups are as smaller communities where we can look at God's word together, we can pray, but we can know each other's lives in, in closer detail in a smaller group so that we can support each other and help each other and love each other in practical ways in those groups. They're kind of a key way that we can do the one another in a larger church and show love in real ways. You see, even if the Bible didn't direct us to do it this way, to all look out for each other and care for each other, the practicalities of a larger church would require us to do it. I was having a look at our church database, Elvanto, this week, and I was looking at the list of people who are active members, regular active members of our church. They consider St John's the place that they come and they're here regularly. And there's... 493 people on that list. And it's been culled down from people who have left it. It's up to date, 493 people. On top of that, there's over 100 other sort of contacts, people on the fringes who wouldn't be active members but we're trying to love and care for as well. So the question is, how are those 600 people going to be loved and cared for? Um, Is the senior minister to do it? Yes, but I can't do it all on my own. Are the staff to do it? Absolutely they are, but they can't do it all on their own. I mean, you see, with with that many people, it's all of our responsibility, and that's the biblical instruction to us to love one another and to care for each other in our church community. That's why... We've committed ourselves in our vision to be doing it, to be loving like Jesus. We do, we do pretty well at it. We do okay. Um, regularly when I'm praying, one of the things that I find myself praying is, thank you, God, for all of the acts of love that take place in this church community every single week that I don't even know about. I know some of them, but I don't know all of them. Phone calls that are made, texts that are sent, people dropping around other people's place to support them, visits to hospitals, shoulders to cry on, meals that are prepared for those who are sick, a listening ear. Actually, God's the only one who knows all of the loving acts that take place in a church community like ours each and every week and every single day. But that doesn't mean that we don't have heaps of room still to grow. Love's a fruit. We've got to get better at it. We've got to grow in it all the time. Uh, And maybe you feel 
that church hasn't loved you or cared for you as much as we should. Sometimes people say that to me. They say, I haven't felt supported and loved and cared for. And that really grieves me when I hear that. That really makes me sad. And I'm sorry if that's been your experience because that's a failing on our part, all of our parts, to support and care for you. And we need to grow in love and own where we have failed to do it adequately. We need to move into a future together where we're motivated and empowered by the love of God. Uh, God who is love in and of himself, God who showed us love in Jesus, and God who lives in us, each of us who are his followers, by his Holy Spirit empowering us and helping us to love like Jesus. So how about I pray for us as we seek to do this more and more. God, thank you that love is at the heart of who you are and that love, that perfect love has always existed. Thank you that you just didn't stay in loving relationship with yourself but you broke into our world in the person of Jesus. You loved people in practical ways. You went to the cross for us because you love us so much. Thank you that you're present living in us by your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray, so that we would love more and more like Jesus and reflect your love and share your love with people who need it most. We pray for our church community that you would help us to love one another. We pray that today in this service and after this service that you would help us to love one another in real ways, to go up to someone we don't know and say good day, to help someone who's struggling. Please help us to continue to grow in love more and more, that people would look at us and see your love in action and come to a relationship with you, the God of love, through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.